Welcome to Think Jewish. And tonight, Hanukkah, the fifth night of Hanukkah, we're going to dedicate tonight's class not to the weekly Torah portion, but rather to the holiday of Hanukkah. And as you saw in the invite, the title is My Peaceful Flame. Before we get into the flame, My Peaceful Flame, I do want to point out that the fifth night of Hanukkah is an extremely powerful night. Amongst Chassidim, it's a very special night. Um, we are taught that the third Lubavitcher Rebbe actually would take this evening and make a latkes evening where everyone in the family would be invited. The daughter-in-laws, the sons, and the grandchildren. Stories would be told. Latkes would be eaten. And uh, there are different interpretations to why this night is such a special night of Hanukkah. One of the simple interpretations to understand is if you look at the menorah, you'll notice that there are eight candles. So tonight is where the tide changes. There's more light than darkness. So last night was equal, four on four. Previous to last night, there was more empty candles, dark than light. And now this night, the tide turns. We now have five out of eight that are, br are uh, burning brightly. So the fifth night of Hanukkah is a very special night of Hanukkah. Many have a custom that uh, the night that you give out the Hanukkah guilt is actually the fifth night of Hanukkah. So tonight's the night, okay? Okay, with that said, let's talk about Hanukkah a little bit. Let's get a little bit of a, a feel before we get mystical here, okay? So the story of Hanukkah is the story of the Greek Syrians that they uh, put idols all over Israel. They took control. They uh, were making laws of persecution, trying to pull the Jewish people away from the holiness and divinity of their religion. Now, I want to tell you why I say holiness and divinity. If you know the history of the Jewish people in Israel, there was a very big difference between when the Romans conquered and the Greek Syrians conquered. Because the Romans would destroy everything. They had no respect for anything. They wanted everything to be Roman. Not so Greek Syrians. Greek Syrians actually had a respect for other people's um, traditions, for other people's architecture. So they weren't here to tell the Jewish people that you cannot do your traditions as much as, as we say in the prayers, they try to pull us away from the divinity of Judaism. So they were totally cool with us studying the Torah. For those of you know, who know, Roy Black, a very great lawyer, he actually studied the entire um, tractic of judges in, in the Talmud because he says that that just trains your mind. There is no book that can train your mind for legal field like the book of Talmud. So that the Greeks were okay with. Oh, you're using it to train your mind. You're using it for identity. You're using it for different cultures. We all have our cultures. We all have different foods we eat. We all have different customs. We all have different holidays. We have different clothing. That's cool. But what is it with you people that everything is about the holy, holy, holy? Before you do something, you make a blessing. What's the blessing? Blessed are you God, our God, King of the universe, who has sanctified us with this mitzvah. What, what, give up with the sanctification is what they wanted. Let's just keep it cultural. And that was their major fight. And by the way, Kabbalistically speaking, that's why it's all about the fight of light, the fight of oil, 
because it's all about the sanctity, the divinity. It isn't about the vessel. It isn't about the actions. They were okay with the actions. They were fighting the divinity of it all. So what happens? Comes along a family, the Hashmonaim, Matisyahu and his children, and they decide that they're going to go from the hills and they're going to go to battle. So miracle number one is the war. As we say in our prayer, that God handed over the many in the hands of the few, the mighty in the hands of the weak, and so forth and so on. So the war was actually a very big miracle. And the war was a painful war. If you guys read the history, there's a great history set out there called Our People. If you read the story of Hanukkah, the aftermath of Hanukkah isn't and they lived happily after ever. Actually, quite painful. But it was a war and they won. And they were able to recapture Temple Mount and they were actually able to rededicate the Holy Temple. Now comes the famous part of the miracle, which is that to use, to light the candle, you have to use oil, oil that is pure. You can't use defiled oil. Now, we'll talk later on about that according to Jewish laws, there is no other oil. You could use the oil that was there. But for simple law, everything that's used in the Holy Temple must be pure, not contaminated and defiled. Therefore, they had set up in the Holy Temple jars, jars of oil. Each jar was enough for the entire menorah to kindle for an entire day. So they would light the menorah, filling it up every single day with one jar of oil. Now, how would they know that that jar was pure? Because they would have a seal. In the olden days, everything went with wax, hot wax, and a signature ring. And they would seal it with the seal of the high priest. And now, as long as that seal wasn't cracked, we know that the oil that was in the jar was never touched. And that's what they had stored. And they kept on replenishing. They would send, there was a place specifically where they sent because of the type of olives there. And they would send there, it was a three-day travel, a day to make the oil, and they would bring back the next shipment, the next shipment. Now what happens? They come into the Holy Temple, and they want to kindle the menorah. But to kindle the menorah, they're looking for pure oil, and they couldn't find pure oil. Until they kept on looking and looking, and they found pach echad, one little jar. They had enough for one day. And they used that jar of oil, they lit the menorah, and a miracle happened that it burned instead of for one day, it burned for eight days, which allowed for the people to set out to get new, make travel there, make new oil, and return. And that's the famous miracle of Hanukkah. There are so many other details. There's the detail of Hanav and her seven sons. There's the detail of Yehudis who single-handedly killed the top general, which caused a big victory for the Jewish people. There are so many details to Hanukkah. We're focusing on the most famous of all miracles, the miracle of the oil. Okay? Now, I want to discuss with you another thing, just putting down some foundation work here. The real mitzvah of lighting the menorah as it is taught in the tractic of Shabbos is that by the front door of your house, facing the outside, not the inside, on the right side is the mezuzah, and on the left side is where you put the menorah. So you put it on the left side, mibachutz, from the outside. Actually, today in Israel, you'll see people do that. 
they have a little beautiful glass box. The menorah is in the glass box so that it won't, the wind won't put it out. And they go and they light it there. Simply speaking, if you want to know why we don't do it in the diaspora, it's because of many other things that changed. It was too dangerous. In the times when the Jewish people were in Europe and they were being accused, especially with superstitions and all the other stuff, it was dangerous to light the candles on the outside. So they moved it to the inside. But the real place that the Talmud tells us where to put it is Pesach Beto Mibachutz, by the doorway of the house from the outside and to the left. Another interesting thing, when did you light the menorah on Hanukkah? Is purposely when it's dark. From when the sun sets. It has to be done at night, not by day. If you light it too early, then you didn't do the mitzvah. Okay? That's step number two. Now understand, just focus that the whole mitzvah of the Hanukkah is a representation of the miracle that happened in the Holy Temple's menorah. But understand that the Holy Temple's menorah is different than your Hanukkah. Number one, the Holy Temple's menorah has seven candles, not eight plus the ninth one serving as a shamash. Number one. Number two, the menorah was lit indoors, not outdoors. And number three, all the work in the Holy Temple was done before the sun set. You had to do it by day. So it's very interesting what's going on here. Just throw in one extra fact to the mix, and then we'll, I mean, pretty much we've laid out the groundwork, is that how long can you light the menorah? So I just want to give you again the background. The mitzvah of the menorah is Pirsuma Nisa. People should see the menorah. So therefore, you can only light the menorah as long as there are still people up in the street that would see it. So the Talmud says, until what time is that? So you look for the latest people that roam the streets. Who is the latest people that roam the streets? It was a group of people called Tarmudai. So the word is, until it's come to completion, end, the footsteps, the feet of the Tarmudai people. Once they're off the streets, there's no more Pesumenissa. Everyone's fast asleep. Again, Kabbalah comes and steps in and says that the word Tarmudai has the letters Moredet, which means rebellion. And we now understand that the job of the menorah is to purposely be kindled on the left side, the opposite of Kiddusha. Kiddusha, holiness, is represents the right side. It should be from the outside, the street, not the inside. And it should be purposely done at nighttime. And the mission is, now watch the play of words. The mission is to transform even the feet of the rebellious ones. Total transformation. To illuminate the darkness is what we're talking about. So now you have a little bit of the history, a little bit of the laws, and a little bit of the mystical insight to the menorah. Okay? So far so good? You guys with me? Okay. Now let's talk about what tonight's title is. The Peaceful Flame. In the works of Chabad Hasidis, because the holiday of Hanukkah is very close to the holiday of Yutet Kislev when the Alter Rebbe was redeemed from his incarceration in the Tsar's prison, so very much we connect the concept of Hanukkah with the concept of the, the Alter Rebbe said 
that when I read the verse, Pada Bishalom Nafshi Mikravli Kibarabm Hayu Imadi, I was released from prison. And what is that verse? It's in chapter 55 of Tehillim, of Psalms. And it says over there, King David said, Pada Bishalom Nafshi, you redeemed my soul with peace. Why peace? Kibarabim Hayu Imadi. Because the many, the multitudes were with me. And our sages say that even the men of his son who was fighting against him, Anshiav Shalom, they prayed for King David's victory. That means it was a transformation that even the enemy was really praying for his victory. So this concept of Pada Bishalom, and I will tell you clearly, obviously we're talking on a mystical level. Because physically, what was going on between the Hashmonaim and the Maccabees and the and the um, and this Greek Syrians were not at all peaceful. A lot of deaths happened. The children of Matisio were killed. Um, it wasn't. We're talking about on a mystical level. We're talking about on the transformation of darkness through light. Okay, and the, here comes the beautiful Hasidic saying: You don't fight darkness with a broomstick. You fight darkness with a light. You turn on a light, and dark is dispelled. So it's not that you have to go out there and get dirty. Rather, you have to remain within your inner peace and light a candle, and automatically the darkness will be dispelled. So now we're going to talk about this Pada Shalom Nafshi of the candle. Let's talk about some very interesting laws of the candle. The laws are set up specifically that everything about the Hanukkah candle is meant to have a peaceful flame. For example, what fuel do we use? Olive oil. What wicks do we use? Cotton wicks. And not only that, but it's brought down in the books that many people have the custom that you do not use new wicks every single night. You actually try to reuse the old wicks. There are those that don't do that. But there are those that do it for one simple reason. Because amongst the peaceful flame of cotton and oil, it's even super peaceful when you use a used wick, which already had that flame running through it. Okay, one more Kabbalistic teaching, and then we're going to get practical. In the book of Tanya, the Alter Rebbe focuses on a story in the Zohar of a child, Hahu Yenuka. And he talks about this concept of the flame above your head. Every single person has a flame above his or her head. What is that flame? That flame is the divine presence, Shechina, the presence of God. Now, what's the job we have? The job we have in life is to make sure that we're always keeping that flame healthy and alive. And how do you keep it healthy and alive? Is by providing the fuel, the oil. What is the oil for the flame? It is Torah and mitzvot. When you do good deeds, that is the fuel to the flame of God upon your head. Okay? And then the Alter Rebbe goes on to question, why do you need to do good deeds? Why isn't your soul a good enough fuel. If we're looking for divinity, just like mitzvot is divinity, studying Torah is divinity, so is your soul. Your soul is a piece of God. So why isn't your soul the perfect fuel, the oil that's needed for this flame? And he goes on to explain that the reason we talk about oil is because oil is the most selfless fuel that there is for a flame. It becomes completely consumed within the flame 
and it remains very quiet. You use wood, logs, you're going to hear crackling sounds, right? You guys were by barbecues, campfires, you hear the crackling sound. Because most fuels, when they disintegrate, there's a war going on. There's a war. No one wants to be disintegrated. So, so too we have with the human being, our body, meaning our animalistic soul, not just our physically body, our physical body. Our physical body is not so quick to just give up its own ego, its own identity, and to be willing to become completely consumed and transparent to the soul. Even the soul has some type of identity and therefore isn't so willing to become completely consumed by the flame. Not so with Torah and Mitzvot. What I want to focus now on that, on that teaching of Tanya is that the secret of the flame is the peacefulness in the transformation. Whenever there's a disintegration of ego, of any, any sense, you're going to experience the crackling noise, that fighting between the fuel and the flame. That point where that, that deafening crack of ego before it's consumed by the flame. So much so that the Zohar says that in the holy Mesifta, and the holy yeshiva in heaven, they teach. Just like a log that doesn't allow itself to become disintegrated by the flame, you have to crack it and splinter it. What happens if the log is too heavy and the flame's not catching it? What do you do? You chop it into little pieces. So too, the body that does not allow itself to be consumed by the spirituality of the soul, you have to crack it. And what does it mean, crack the body? So immediately we explain, God forbid not to physically hurt your body, not even fasting, because we're taught by the Holy Magid that a small hole in the body is a big hole in the soul. We don't hurt our bodies. What we're talking about is the animalistic soul's ego. That's the crackling sound you're always going to hear. The breaking is all about the ego of the animalistic soul. So here we have one type of flame that you can light, but it's a noisy flame. Not only is it a noisy flame, have you ever, you know, we're supposed to sit, after we light the menorah, you're supposed to sit and watch it for X amount of minutes. Have you ever watched the flame? Watch that flame versus any other type of flame. You'll see that all other flames are constantly jumping, right? Even when they make those electric bulbs that are supposed to look like flames, what's the whole trick? That that red light is moving around. Because we know that flames aren't quiet. They're jumping. They're hopping around. What happens by the oil flame? If you look at your menorah, because the wick is made out of cotton, and because the oil is the fuel, you'll find beautiful little flames. You're not going to find the type of flames you have like from a Havdalah candle, which is like boom, boom. You're not going to find that. And as long as the oil is burning, you're not even going to have black smoke. It's only after the oil burns out, now it's trying to burn out of the, the... That's when you have... Because the peacefulness of the transparency when you use cotton and oil is very beautiful. So you have here two types of flames. You have a flame that's not peaceful. It's, it's war. And it's real war. Think about it. I want, God wants. And there's a war between the two. 
my body's ego, my soul's ego. And I use the word ego so loosely. But there's a war there. We're not willing so quickly to give up our definition of identity for God's definition of identity. None of us feel so okay with giving up everything and becoming just transparent to God's will. We have our own wills. We're battling with God. And that type of flame is a very noisy, crackling flame. However, the whole secret of the Hanukkah menorah is not to do that. The secret of the menorah is to find a very peaceful flame. Now let's put this back together. Everything I, I laid out for you before the class. So Hanukkah is about the left side, not the holy side. Hanukkah is about the outside, which is all struggles, not the inside, which is hopefully warm. We're talking about darkness, not light. Lighted at nighttime, not by daytime. So everything about this mitzvah of Hanukkah seems to be telling us, boy, are we going to have noisy flames. It's a war. It's a real war. It's a war from good to evil. That war exists within my heart, the left side and the right side, between the heart and the mind, between my spiritual and my physical, even in your body, right? What do you have, that, that muscle, what's called the diaphragm, that separates the respiratory from the, from the digestive? It's because we're always having an argument within us. We're having the more spiritual, we're having the physical. And it's always at war. So inside me, I have my left side, my darkness, my outside, my people of the Tarmudai, the rebellious side of me. And Hanukkah is actually going to war with that. And then you have it in the world. You have the inside of your home, which has high morals, versus the outside on the street, which is full of temptation. So it doesn't make sense. Here we're saying that everything is about peaceful flame. And we're setting ourselves up for the noisiest type of flame you can have. To understand this, we need to go back to the original miracle of the oil. So the Jewish people came into the, the holy temple. And what do they find? They find that the Greek Syrians purposely defiled everything. Go back to what I told you before. Their, their war wasn't against the physicality of our culture. It was against the spirituality of our culture. They didn't destroy the temple. They destroyed the sanctity of the temple, right? That's what they were doing. They weren't destroying the Jewish people's behaviors. They were destroying the Judaism of the behavior, the divinity of the behavior, right? So the whole fight is always about the oil. The oil is the liquid that will never assimilate together with any other liquids. No matter how you shake it up, where's the oil going to end up? On top, right? It doesn't mix. Other liquids will mix. This doesn't mix. That's what they were fighting. That's spirituality. So they come, the Jewish people come to the temple, and what's the war all about? The war is all about fight this. We're going to stand up for our spirituality. We're not a culture. Famous question that they always have. The Jews, are they a people, a nation, a religion? And the way the Jews always answer the question is, yes. That's why we answer the question. Because we're all of the above. And not only are we all of the above, but we're all of the above in a way where it's inseparable. 
So this concept is what the Jewish people are coming into the Holy Temple with. We're looking for pure oil because that's what the battle was really all about. Well, lighting the menorah isn't what the Greek Syrians were against. It was lighting it specifically with holy oil, with pure oil. That's what they were against. So to win the war, it's not going to be good enough if we just suffice with the law that, you know, extreme measures, we're going to have to go ahead and use defiled oil. Then the war wasn't really won. So they're looking for that one jar of oil, which is absolutely pure. What does that mean in me and you? Within me and you, what that means is that we have within us layers. We have our intellect. We have our emotions. We have our thought, speech, and action. We have our power of will. There are many layers to us. Each one of these layers is full of layers. In intellect itself, we have wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. One is methodological. One is more artistic. Chachma, Bina. We have different layers within each layer. And now what happens? All these layers can be defiled. It's very simple. The way we think, the way we feel can be defiled. You're born as a child with very beautiful emotions towards spirituality and holiness and love and purity. And as we grow up, those emotions become defiled by our opening the gateways to different types of cultures. And when I say cultures here, I mean specifically. So all of a sudden, instead of feeling warm about very pure things, we're feeling warm about very big things, very powerful things. Our emotions are becoming defiled. It wasn't always like that. When we were children, it wasn't about the big, the beautiful, the powerful. It was about the pure. It was about the inner peace. So our emotions become defiled. Our intellects become defiled. So all those layers, when we come into our holy temple after a real battle with the outside, what do we end up finding? That very much of us has become defiled. But we want to find that one jar of oil. What does that one jar of oil represent? That one jar of oil represents, in Spanish they call it chispa de judio, in Yiddish they call it pintaleyid. It's the essence of the soul. It's what we call yechida. The word yechida comes from the word yachid. It's not just one, it's, it's the absolute unity. In Kabbalah we call it the peace of creator within the creation. Now understand that that peace can never be defiled. No matter what we've done, there's a peace within us that always remains pure. I will tell you that I use this Kabbalistic teaching in counseling people that have been through very difficult childhoods, including unfortunate forms of abuse. Why? Because what's important, I believe, and I don't have a PhD in psychology, I study Tanya, I study Hasidus. But what I believe is that the person needs to be able to find the peace within them that while it was happening was not participating. Does that make sense to you? When you talk to people that had these horrible, these horrible 
experiences as a child, they will tell you that very often what they did was they went into outer body experiences. They just didn't want to be there while it was happening. So physically they had no choice. They were there. But they took the rest of themselves away from it. They just went into an outer body experience, wait for it to end and move on. What I try to do with them is to help them celebrate Hanukkah. Because everything in your temple was defiled, especially when we're talking about this type of molestation. Everything in your holy temple was defiled, but not true. There's one piece of you that does not need a parent. And because it's not dependent upon a parent, the parent cannot break it and the parent cannot defile it. Because a piece of God within you is without of reach of everyone, including your primary caretakers. So what we're talking about over here is that when you find this one jar of oil, you're looking again, I'm just taking it from a total different, I, I took a very extreme case. We're talking about the Greek Syrians defiling the Holy Temple, and I'm talking about, God forbid, God forbid, a child being defiled by primary caretakers. And each one of us go through that experience. And what happens over here is that if you can help the person realize that during being defiled, there was a piece of that person which was untouchable, it remained pure and holy throughout the whole experience. Because this is beyond the caretaker. This is you and God, God and you, not your father, not your brother, not your uncle, not your older brother and sister. No one, no one can make it or break it. The miracle of Hanukkah depends upon you finding that jar of oil within you. A lot of times, I will tell you, I, whatever, every Chabad rabbi has their own experiences. I've had my share, fair share of experiences with people that went through this, unfortunately. God should protect all of us. Came to me. And a lot of times what I would do, if I felt they were strong enough, was try to take them back there. Take them back there so that they can connect from that horrible space to that piece of them that was untouchable. Because from that jar of oil, you can rekindle your menorah. More importantly, from that jar of oil, there is no crackling. When the peace of creator within the creation is the fuel for the soul, is the fuel for the light, for divinity, there is no wars of egos. Understand that from the yachid, from the yachida part, from the essence of your soul, that relationship is what? God is everything and everything is God. Because the essence of everything, even that which is evil, the essence of everything is what? God. So when you touch that place within you, that one jar of oil, then you have the most beautiful flame even on the left side, even on the outside, even at the darkness of night, even when you're dealing with the lowest heels of rebellion. And that's the peaceful flame of Hanukkah. Is this easy to accomplish? No. Can I tell everyone to do this, especially without professional guidance? No. 
But I'll ever know that it is possible to do. And at some level, we can all do it. We don't have to always open up the darkest dungeons that exist within our mind, our soul, our heart, our past experiences. You need to be ready for that. And you need to have professional help when you do that. But know that in the darkest moments of anyone's life, including a child being molested by a parent, God forbid, in the ultimate defiling moment, there is within that child one jar of pure oil that did not participate. It was not defiled. It was there and was totally beyond reach. And thus the confusion of having a primary caretaker be the one to destroy you doesn't touch that area. Because there's something beyond your primary caretaker that doesn't need a primary caretaker. Neither the Greek Syrians nor the most horrible parent can touch that one jar of oil. Now, if we find that one jar of oil within us, and the way we find that one jar of oil within us, by the way, is through surrendering, not through fighting. It's through opening your hands, not through clenching your hands tight. Then we're capable of having the most peaceful flame in all scenarios. You're fighting chaos, remaining within your peace. You're looking chaos in the eyes and saying, from my perspective of this one jar of oil, you're nothing more than another manifestation of God. So we're really not at war. That's the ultimate experience of the peaceful flame of Hanukkah. And that's all for tonight, guys. Happy Hanukkah.